Hello, and welcome to this episode of the World Extreme Medicine Podcast. My name's Dr. Will Duffin. I'm recording this episode on day 211 of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. One fifth of the country is currently occupied by Russian troops, but the Ukrainian military has recently mounted a number of successful counteroffensives around Kherson and Kharkiv, prompting President Putin to announce a partial mobilization of more troops. And the Western media is rife with fear and speculation on what might happen next and how far Putin will go to achieve the objectives of his special military operation. It can all seem very bleak, but one ray of positivity in all of this for me has been those members of the international medical community who've chosen to step up and help. And one such organisation is Medics for Ukraine. I spoke with the founders, Manchester-based paramedic and expedition leader Luca Alfati, and Devon-based CEO, honorary associate professor and volunteer Coast Guard Mark Hannaford. From humble beginnings, Medics for Ukraine have managed to deliver over £1.3 million worth of medical supplies via road convoys directly to the front line, along with training over 270 Ukrainian medics in battlefield casualty care. And in this episode, I asked them about how they began, how they scaled up their operations, the, the challenges, frustrations, triumphs, and what it's like on the ground to travel east of Lviv during the current crisis. So here is my conversation with Medics for Ukraine. Mark and Luca, welcome to the podcast. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here too. So let's start with the very inception of Medics for Ukraine. And Mark, perhaps you could answer this one. How did it all begin? Well, I think it started obviously with the invasion of Ukraine. And I think like lots of people watching the unfolding um, events, you know, we were, it felt like Europe, you know, our society was stepping back 40, 50 years. It seemed unjust, it seemed unfair. Um, and we wanted to support our medical colleagues, the medical community in Ukraine, Ukraine, as they sort of struggled to come to come to terms with the with the invasion. Um, so we kind of gathered ourselves. We um, kind of asked for a show of hands of people who would be who are free to help um, with the idea of running trauma supplies to to our medical colleagues in Ukraine. And um, you know, loads of people put their hand up. But Luca shouted loudest and jumped highest, <laughs> and so so Luca joined me in the kind of um, in the in the mission to get um, much needed life saving trauma supplies. Originally, we fought to concentrate on paediatric hospitals, which was a similar thing to when we ran our sort of children's convoy to, to Syria. Um, but we quickly realised actually the need whilst present, wasn't as, uh, as, as urgent as the need on the front line with frontline medics and frontline soldiers, you know, obviously as a result of the conflict, you know, getting killed, having severe, severe injury, injury. So we, we found ourselves focusing more and more and supplying that frontline, those frontline units and supporting those frontline medics. And Luca, you've you've been involved with this since its inception, and you began as a very small outfit, uh, just running small convoys across the border, and it's evolved into this huge operation. Can you perhaps speak to how how it has grown in in this way, and, and what your role has been in, along the journey? 
Uh, yeah, um, it's basically got a life of its own by now. And I would like to say there's been a lot of serendipity um, throughout the whole journey, basically. Uh, it all began with me um, answering a call from uh, a stranger, a Polish uh, now friend of ours, Lucas, um, in, in Poland that uh, had friends in Ukraine and was as asking for help. He was asking for medical supplies because he had direct uh, contact with uh, people in Kherson. And uh, I just replied and said, I think we can help. And from there, it just escalated. So uh, Mark came back from Mauritania, I think Mark was. And I had uh, already a few uh, volunteers lined up in Poland and in Ukraine. Uh, two or three of them connected. However, um, a few others actually uh, did not know each other. I just got them from different contacts that I had before. And through all our contacts and friends, we managed to uh, get donations, enough donations to fill up two vans. And Mark, I, myself, uh, a paramedic friend of mine, Mike, and Peter, uh, who was the stranger at the time, uh, who answered uh, one of our calls for uh, drivers, uh, ended up driving to the border to, with Ukraine. And at the time, we weren't very sure about the security situation, which was, um, which was and it is always in the back of our minds. However, by then we had, uh, I've had basically 24-hour contacts for almost two, two, almost three weeks with Ukraine. And I really felt compelled to go and meet them face to face. Uh, in this day and age of uh, digital, you know, interviewing podcasts and so on and so forth, I still felt that I needed to shake their hand and look them in the eyes. My, uh, Mark agreed. Um, basically, we, we crossed the border uh, with uh, uh, the help of uh, um, Svetlana, who is now uh, a key part of our uh, operations. Svetlana is a Ukrainian lady uh, from Kyiv who has been, uh, since day one, has been running uh, across the border several times, sometimes a day, uh, several times a week, uh, just filling in the gaps. So people that needed, you know, uh, whatever they needed. It can be medical supplies, but it can be anything. And uh, so we got into Viv uh, uh, in a bunker hospital where we met our first few connections. And I had the moment where I sat back with Mark and I looked around and it's like, majority of these people didn't know each other up until we put them together for this one delivery. And obviously they all brought their own um, experience, expertise, our, and, and uh, um, sorry, their own experience and expertise. Uh, and now, Basically, they are running their own operations in Ukraine with our support, uh, with very minimal supervision from us. And we know where everything is going. We know that it's going to support families. We, are, we had equipment going into Kherson during the, whilst it was um, not surrendered, it was in circle, it was occupied. We still managed to get stuff through into the city, um, Kharkiv, Dnipro, Odessa, we just had uh, all our equipment in the front line at the time of need, thanks to the local volunteers. Uh, there's obviously a lot more to it, but that is basically just keeping connection and believing in people. 
I mean, the, the degree of penetration you've achieved into the country with those supplies is, is amazing. As you said, right into the front lines. And uh, Mark, can you give us an insight into w- what kind of logistics is required to get convoys of essential medical and trauma supplies that far in? You know, how have you been able to, to get those supply lines up and running? Yeah. So, well, as, as Lucas said, you know, this is very much a steep learning curve for us. We didn't, you know, we, we hadn't run a, an operation on this scale like this before. You know, we'd run um, a paediatric hospital into Syria when the last hospital was bombed in Aleppo. However, that was kind of like a driver, drop it. And then the, the local team in Syria then sort of took care of the other end. You know, here it's very much... You know, we, we gather the equipment, we fundraise for the equipment, we purchase the equipment, we pack the equipment, we drive the equipment, we get the, with partners, the equipment and supplies across the border, you know, then to a, um, a hub that we have in uh, Western Ukraine. And from there, it's distributed by small cars with, by volunteers. He might well have a, you know, a connection to the unit and the people that they're delivering to. They might be their father, their son, their brother, their daughter, their mother. So, you know, it makes for a very tenacious system and a very sort of slick and direct system. It's not one that we knew that we were going to set up. And as Lucas intimated, it's very much um, based upon, you know, the bravery, energy, and, and again, the tenacity of the local volunteers. And they do put themselves at considerable risk to to make these drops. But we also know that the drops result in people's lives being saved, but also recovery being improved. So, you know, post-injury, their recovery is swifter, their, their prognosis is better. So, you know, we know it's worthwhile, but it's not without risk. Um, but because we're a small, very targeted organization, it does make us quite invisible. So that makes moving around the country you know, easier perhaps than if we were having to, to run a large food aid organization. Um, but that said, it's, yeah, it's, you know, we we just work with an amazing group of local volunteers, you know, some of whom who've been displaced and some of whom sadly have lost family members, but without exception, their lives have been changed by the, the event, by the recent events. I think you're in a unique unique position there, Mark, as a small organisation that makes you more agile and you're less constrained by the bureaucracy of of larger outfits. Um, And also, it's amazing to see how you've built those human connections within the country through those local people. Um, And that continues to stay. I mean, it looks looking at social media. It's full of videos of frontline soldiers expressing their gratitude for, for the work that you've done. I mean, well, we we were we were concerned. You know, one of the things we very much teach on our courses and the conference is not to get in the way of aid agencies when a natural disaster or uh, when there's an, an unfolding humanitarian emergency. You know, let the professional organisations do their job and and don't get in the way. I think with Ukraine, though, however, it's different because the scale of the need is so great. Um, it's also we found ourselves in a, a really interesting position having having a unique network and a unique set of contacts and also a unique skill set that actually in our very targeted niche we could do a, a pretty effective job and actually fill a gap that wasn't being able to be filled by the the larger agencies because the challenge facing them was so great um so we did we luke and i held off for a few weeks to make sure 
that what we were doing was one was needed two was worthwhile and three was sustainable in terms of people you know it, it being worthwhile in the long term because the other thing we wanted to avoid is giving short-term aid and then taking it away we wanted to make sure that we could sustain this and of course some of that is dependent on on sponsorship from outside but and that's you know something we'll talk about slightly later on but now those were our three aims sort of targeted achievable and sustainable and and luca tell me about what you perceive the need to be in terms of provision of medical supplies what need has been out there and and how have you been meeting that Uh, there there are um, unmet needs of all kind um, to be completely honest Uh, we have uh, not only been providing trauma medical supplies to the front line which is what we've been uh, asked to do and that's what we've been focusing in doing. However, uh, we also have been uh, fortunate enough to be invited to visit a few hospitals uh, in the country. And uh, these are functional hospitals with uh, very well qualified and, and uh, amazing doctors, consultants, and so on. And it's evident that there is a massive shortage of primary care medications as well. Um, so we have still we're still focusing on, on, on the trauma and the trauma supplies that we are uh, uh, delivering to the front line. That's always on the top of the list from tourniquets to hemostatic um, gauzes agents to uh, stretchers, anything to get the soldiers, but civilians as well, off the front line onto the back of an ambulance and somewhere uh, where they can get definitive care. So that's been our main focus. However, because of how well we've been doing in delivering this side of the operation, we uh, are also uh, approached by uh, hospitals and clinics for uh, different matters, as I said, for primary care medications, which in our small uh, remit, we have helped um, in several occasions. So that is the main two And to to be fair, even though the situation is very um, uh, changeable in the front line, the medical needs are not really. The medical needs are still exactly the same. They still uh, need uh, trauma supplies. They still need trauma medication. They still need training to be able to deal with the um, with the injuries that they obviously see uh, and the pattern of injuries that they see in the front line and uh, um, hospitals are still short of um, uh, life-saving, life-saving medication as well. Because one thing that, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a humanitarian or maybe I, I am by now, but I wasn't. And what I've obviously very much uh, hit me is that, oh, you know, there is a war and we're looking at people dying from the front line and so on. But there is a huge numbers, millions and millions of people. There are civilians, population that they cannot lead, they cannot flee. Uh, people with chronic diseases, people that have uh, uh, limited mobility, uh, uh, elderly, they're just left behind with absolutely no support. And that's what the clinics and the uh, and by the clinics and hospitals try to do, but sometimes with no, um, no supplies. Uh, another, another request we had, for example, this is something that came a few months back, was uh, mental health medications in, in mental health institutions, completely you know, left on their own device. So there is a lot of need there. 
Yeah, I think it's easy to focus on the, the, the battlefield medicine, that dimension, and forget that there's a civilian population with all the same health needs, uh, and if not more, uh, due to being living in an area of conflict, and that that that's and, all there. And the way the the yeah. the, the war in Ukraine is is, is, is developed, really, it, it's not really a front a, a, a face to face as you would imagine war, where you're like just a few hundred yards from the front line. This is more of uh, uh, shelling and missiles and so on. So that the civilian the civilian population is at the front line with the military population. So the the, the trauma supplies that we deliver. They don't only help the you know the soldiers and the army, but they are used by default to try to save civilian population life as well. Mm-hmm. And, and Mark, you've, as an organisation, you've, you've been very successful in securing supplies from you know well resourced settings like the UK. Tell us a little bit more about how that's worked, how you've been able to achieve donations of, of medical equipment and, and, and get that then to where it's needed in Ukraine. I think. Um by uh, you know we're in I, I said at the beginning we felt we were in a unique situation with our contact base our network and our, our collective experience and also our skill set so you know be we've been you know amazed by the the support of the the medical community and the way that they you know sent us supplies essentially when when speaking to people, you know, we I talk about the convoys, the fact we're delivering convoys and the fact that we're delivering training. But I use the phrase that the, the convoys are literally a vehicle for sponsorship because, you know, we'll buy enough supplies to make a convoy worthwhile. But we'll find before the day of departure, pallet loads of other supplies come in from other people who've heard that a convoy is going and all of a sudden we'll get, you know, deliveries from all over the country and all over the world of trauma supplies to 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 join that convoy so for instance if we spend forty thousand pounds on supplies for the convoy as often as not we're delivering 120 because that's what's being delivered to to our warehouse in manchester um so they you know that expression that the convoys are a vehicle for sponsorship and, and and donations of of supplies is true you know and also we've been very fortunate to you know by the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham be donated their excess medical supplies. Um, we've had uh, one of the students on the ex- MSc program in extreme medicine, a guy called Eric Linder, based in the States, just happened to have half a million pounds worth of a quick cloth and hemostatic agent sitting around in his warehouse. He generously donated that. So, you know, we've had some amazingly generous donations come in from from people with supplies and you know, from the Coast Guard, from the ambulance service, from all, all walks and, and types of life. Yeah, the generosity of uh, these individuals and organisations has been really incredible and uh, how everyone's been moved by what's been going on in Ukraine is, and, and is coming together to, to help these people. You started out doing running the convoys, providing those essential supplies, but things expanded along the way and you, you've also branched out into training. Luca, tell me how that came together how you ended up providing medical training out in ukraine as well uh this is some uh, it is a good question because it sort of i wouldn't say sort of just happened but um our main um partner friend a very good friend over in ukraine from uh kerson stefan uh, he had uh him and azer They've got some very good contact within the uh, military, special forces, and territorial army. And after our first uh, 
uh, trip into Ukraine. Uh, we have been invited back specifically. Uh, so basically, the word you know, the word was spreading. There are these guys that seem to know what they're doing, and they're really willing to help. Um, shall we invite them back and have a bit of uh, you know, a bit of a conversation and see how how they can help us? So we went back in uh, just at the same time as Convoy Two went back in, and uh, uh, we sat with some. Um, MPs of the Zelensky government, really, as well as uh, uh, quite high up people within the military, so the military and special forces. And we just had meetings. We went to a lot of meetings around Kiev, Viv, and a few other places. Uh, I, I guess they just wanted to see how credible we were and how serious we were. And from that, we have received uh, many, many uh, requests from different parts of the country, uh, not necessarily just the same battalion, for example, the same unit, not just special forces, but also um, territorial army, for example, for uh, for training, which we have answered to, and we have uh, met for what we can do, obviously. Uh, we have trained now over 350 uh, individuals in between doctors, medics, um, and 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 uh, soldiers uh, in uh, combat casualty care. So it was a combination of the credibility that we brought to uh, read the convoys and the fact that we actually stuck with it. It wasn't just a a, a one-off, which often happens, um, which is still very welcome. But as we were kept coming back, they're like these guys are serious. We can actually trust them. We can. Um, we can use resources, which are very thin, because obviously we are fighting a war against Russia. We can use some resources to look after these guys when they are here and provide um, uh, and free some medics for training, because they understand how important it is to be able to provide that uh, casualty care frontline. That's what it makes the difference in between saving a life and not saving a life. Is it hard to release people from the front line for training? Presumably in Ukraine, a large proportion of the f fighting force are engaged in combat. Is it Was it quite hard to get people to step back from that, to engage with your sessions? It, it, it is it is hard. There's a lot of work uh, in uh, in the background uh, within you know within our uh, um, partners in Ukraine. Uh, dates can change last minute, uh, which we're trying obviously to to fix on a calendar, and it's it's never exactly what you're gonna be what you're gonna expect. Uh, maybe they tell us it's gonna be twenty people because some are gonna be deployed or uh, the uh, the area of attacks has changed or whatever they might be. And uh, our last team were expecting a team of thirty to train, and they found themselves in a room with a hundred a um, hundred people, all willing and all very eager to actually um, understand what. Uh, no, to get combat casualty care, um, so it's uh, it's I wouldn't say frustrating because it's not the right word, but it, 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 it requires a high degree of flexibility from ourselves and them, and uh, a lot of very good communication to try to make it happen. So far, as always happened, no training has been cancelled. If anything, we have more people than expected. Uh, however, uh, they are very. Um, honest and saying, you know, we have this amount of people, 
but they might get a last minute call and we'll have to go front line and that's what it is. Uh, one of the training Mark and I did uh, was for a group, a territorial army group uh, within the greater Kiev region and uh, none of those guys were actually have been deployed yet but they could have been deployed any minute or any day uh, you know, in, in, in the future and it's just, it's just the reality of what's going on. And Mark, apart from yourself and, and Luco, which other medics from, from the UK or, or elsewhere have you been able to engage to deliver the, the training in country? We, we've got quite a, quite a team, quite a robust team now that have, and I, my, um, I can't say names at all for security reasons, but they generally have extensive combat experience as medics in small group special operation type environment. So they're the perfect people for teaching medics deploying into the front line for this type of conflict. Uh, sadly, sadly, the, the sadly that they're needed, but um, really, you know, an amazingly valuable resource for the guys on the Ukrainian end. And as Luca was intimating, you know, the, the people we t- we're teaching can range from people who've never been to the front line and have not so much medical background to some amazing medics who, who you know, who are just incredible clinicians with lots of experience. And having that experience within the team allows us to be flexible to teach at all levels and to respond to the group of people that we're presented with because as Lucas said it is a dynamic situation people you know aren't always where they're expected to be at a certain time because of the conflict so um, having a team of that caliber does really give us that sort of bandwidth and that flexibility so that we can teach newbie medics going to the front line for the first time who are anxious let's say it, put it that way, to, you know, veteran medics who want to know the latest thought process, the latest protocols, the latest treatment patterns, and, uh, you know, and learn from um, the knowledge that sits within our pool of faculty. And Mark, I'm also interested to know, both you and Luca have been into Ukraine on this convoy. This isn't something you're managing from a field. You are intimately involved with the delivery of the, the supplies and also the, the combat casualty care. What are your reflections on seeing Ukraine firsthand? Most of us are just reliant on news reports, um, but you're, you've been on the ground. You've been well past Kiev. What, what, what are your reflections on what you're seeing on the ground in Ukraine in terms of how, how that country is faring during this crisis? I think it's, in, it's, a, it's an experience of contrasts. You know, in, in, you know, I live down in Devon. In many respects, being in traveling through um, Western Ukraine. It's like being in the West Country, you know, fields of crops. It's, uh, you know, when we've been in the, in, the, in the summer, it's been, you know, beautiful sunshine and largely untouched. And then all of a sudden you'll come to this band of utter destruction. And I mean, just utter destruction. You, you, you get the sense where blood has been spilt. You know, it's still f- very fresh in many places. Um, and but the level of destruction is just incredible. And I think largely because of the use of artillery, you know, not only is the ground obliterated, but they, you know, the skies are obliterated, the tr- trees are obliterated. You know, animals are walking around shell shocked, and it's that contrast between everyday normal life and the utter devastating reality of of, of modern warfare. Warfare, um, but you know, from a personal point of view with the people you meet and the certain people we're engaging with 
you know, their spirit of resistance and their determination to be their own people, you know, is incredible. And, you know, their sense of their sense of injury, not just because, you know, physical injury, because of injuries from warfare, but also the sense of injury from being invaded by, you know, what they considered to be a familial neighbor has kind of very much hardened that sense of, you know, affront and um, offence. So it gives them great, and I think that's where, you know, a lot of the successes are coming from because they're determined in their, their, um, in their resistance to really, and, you know, very, it runs deep. Luca, do you ever worry about your own safety and security when you head east of Lviv? Uh, it's, it's a good question. Uh, and uh, uh, we're full to say I don't, because obviously I do, and, and, and you know, uh, we all do. Uh, so there is always the element uh, in the back of our minds, uh, you know, is it safe? Are we going to be safe? It feels safe. It does. Uh, the majority of the, uh, you know, the majority of where, the west of the country, it does feel safe. Uh, life goes on. Um, restaurants are open. Shops are open. There's um, often at the border, there is a, a longer queue getting into Ukraine than getting out of Ukraine. And that start, started fairly early on, a few months back. Um, very proud people, uh, uh, very reliable people as well. Uh, so it, it just, it, you get in, you are a bit worried, and then you are within the country like, I feel safe. They are looking after us. Uh, we are under the protection of, uh, you know, the special forces and so on and so forth. However, there is always this, um, uh, this war in the back of your mind. Um, modern technology, you know, now you download an app and it's the air raid app and the app goes off. If there is an air raid, uh, the thing is it can tell you where this air raid is going to be in, in the country. So it just, it just goes off and, you know, the first few times you're like, right, what do you need to do? And you just go and obviously hide underground somewhere. We had these in Viv on, uh, on one of our trips. So it, it's just a reminder that it's a country of war, that nowhere is really safe. But you can be lulled into thinking that you, you know, you are safe. So it's, uh, it's, it's really hard to explain, actually. Um, and uh, um, when, uh, uh, so, well, there were some problems obviously at home as well in uh, uh, a few months back. We, we, we've gone into Ukraine uh, several times within a short period of time, so we're pretty much always in. And that uh, explaining um, to family and friends, you know, are you going to be safe? And I'm like, I, I think I am, but you just, you just don't know. So there's also that element where you're like, well, yeah, I am taking a risk. And, uh, you know, sometimes you're like, why am I doing this? Is it worth it taking that risk? How do I explain that to you know to my wife, to my kids? And uh, then you're in, on the ground, and you see what that what we're doing is making a difference. We hear that what we're doing is making a difference. We are asked to come back over and over and over again, and it's like, well, yes, it is worth it, and uh, we we will keep doing it in the safest ways possible. But you know, I could walk out the house tomorrow and be hit by a bus. So there's always that, 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 that you know, w- w- there is a risk that you're happy to take and risks that you're not happy to take. So yes, we're not going front line, but we are going into Ukraine because well, they need us, 
and you know one day it might be reverse situation luca mark thank you for sharing such candid reflections of what it's like to be doing this operation i think many people listening will be moved by that and many will be wondering how can they either volunteer to be part of your deployment or can they donate to to your cause mark what would be the best way for people to do that well there are kind of four ways so volunteering um we need two types of volunteers we need convoy drivers um who are prepared to drive the vehicles from manchester where our hub is to the to the polish border where it's unloaded and then transshipped by the polish red cross and those vehicles then return to manchester so volunteer drivers who are able to do their uh, manchester to poland drive and back we also, as I was speaking, need, you know, volunteers to teach, but they have to have extensive combat casualty care experience. Um, but we would love to hear from you. Um, and Luke is the point of contact for that. Donations, you know, I appreciate people would like to donate and they can do that through our GoFund page. If you search for Medics for Ukraine, GoFundMe. Um, but what we would really you know we're keen to to build relationships with companies who might want to be who might want to sponsor the the activities that we're, that we're undertaking um and in that case you know that'd be great for that people to approach us directly not dissimilarly trauma supplies you know if we don't have to buy them if they're donated we can you know we can pack our vehicles to the to the roofs with trauma supplies so anybody that has you know, uh, a source of trauma supplies that they'd be happy to know, donate would be absolutely amazing. And again, you know, um, contact myself or Luca. I'm actually going um, overseas and off comms for a couple of weeks, but Luca would be more than glad to sort of respond to any messages that come in that way. So volunteering is volunteering as a driver or as a combat care uh, teacher. Donations either individually but ideally, as a company, if a company would sponsor us to sponsor the costs of the, the convoys, it's important to highlight that all the operational costs are covered by World Extreme Medicine and myself. So 100%, um, which is not something that most organizations of our type can say, 100% of the donation goes entirely on buying trauma supplies and going to Ukraine. Um, and, yeah, we're here to, you know, we, we'd love to hear from anybody that could offer help of that type. Luca, any final thoughts from you before we draw things to a close? Uh, just to add on what Mark said, um, if uh, uh, another thing that we are recently looking for, uh, and if anyone can help, please get in touch with me, is uh, um, medical training equipment, um, airway heads, um, anything like that um, that can uh, help us uh, make the training even better and more realistic. That'd be great. Uh, and other than that, we're going to keep going. So. Uh, if you guys want to be, if anyone wants to be part of it and want to help us out, um, uh, just uh, just get in touch. Um, uh, everyone can do their little bit, and we're here. Give us a call. Uh, it's nothing short of remarkable how much Medics for Ukraine has achieved in such a short space of time since war broke out in February last year. Uh, so earlier this year, in fact, it's all so recent. Um, uh, thank you so much for your time today outlining what it is you've been doing um and if anyone wishes to reach out the details to contact mark and luca will be in the show notes along with more information about medics for ukraine but thank you both for your time today thank you thank will. you
If you've enjoyed this episode of the World Extreme Medicine podcast, please subscribe, like, and share. And if you want to meet lots of other risk-taking, rule-bending, and inspirational people, then you need to be in Edinburgh on the 19th to the 21st of November for this year's conference. Tickets are on sale now. Go to extrememedicineexpo.com to find out more.